Hello and welcome to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. It's me again, Kelly Knight. I am your podcast host and Modern Mystic Shop owner. And it is our intention through this podcast to continue to bring you guys useful information, metaphysical teachers and tools to help you best navigate this really uncertain time. And part of this curriculum this week is our Dear, dear podcast producer, Sunday School Coordinator, Kirsten Hedges, if you have been to any of our live classes or in our Zoom classes over the past several weeks, you have had the pleasure of meeting Kirsten. But for those of you who have not met her in person, she really makes all of this tick behind the scenes. She books all of our guests, she helps them create the topics every week, and she manages Uh, the way that we distribute this content through our web platforms, etc. And she is a wealth of knowledge on various topics, and I'm sure you'll be hearing from her again on Sunday School, but she's back this time to discuss ways in which the herbs that we use can support in this unique intense time of stress. So plants and herbs have a lovely ancient knowledge that they long to share with the human race. They not only provide direct physical and energetic support to the central nervous system, but their mere existence is a masterclass in surrender. The combination of the central nervous system support and practicing deep acceptance and surrender can get us through this uncertain and shifting time. So in this class, she provides an in-depth discussion on specific plants for stress, as well as a beautiful plant-based meditation to embody supreme surrender. And again, just to tell you a little bit more about Kirsten, if you don't know more about her, she is a jack of all trades, or more appropriately, a queen of all cups for those tarot enthusiasts, whose nurturing essence is endlessly drawn to all avenues of expressing and liberating the divine feminine. She has been led to studies in communication and psychology, Reiki master attunement, womb blessing goddess training, and an herbalism certification that recently have all woven together to manifest this passion projects of her life called folk care. Folk care is a convergence of divinity and destiny. Born from the labors of ancestral assistance and spirit-filled guidance, it is a space where the lore, love, and practice of herbalism, witchcraft, and metaphysics merge to bring ease and healing to others because some folk still care. It is such a beautiful expression of Kirsten's knowledge and passion and wisdom. So I just so look forward to you guys really taking some time to listen to her knowledge and to really understand what a blessing these plant remedies have been uh, to the humankind. So without further ado, herbs to ease stress and encourage surrender with Kirsten Hedges. Um, Thank you. Uh, so, um, my name is Kirsten Hedges. Uh, most of you know that, uh, I run a business, a very small business that's near and dear to my heart called folk care. Um, and it's the platform through which I get to do a lot of my work today. We're going to come together to talk about herbs, to ease stress and encourage surrender. And while those two things might seem like they don't have a lot in common, stress and surrender, uh, we're going to work through today how they meet each other in the middle. Before I get started, though, I want to just take a moment to acknowledge uh, everything that's gone on for the past few days in our world um, and in our city and how I know that there are people really hurting right now. Um, And it is my hope that the things that we talk about today are able to give us all a chance to settle into ourselves, to take care of ourselves so that we can continue to create the sort of world that we want to live in. Um, And so I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge what's going on right now, um, not only across the country, but specifically in our city, the energy that's present. Um, and how what we're going to talk about today is not in opposition to or separate to what's happening in our world, but instead to me is an integral part of how we can take care of ourselves and be present in a way that sets us up for a long game um, because we're going we're gonna to change the society we, we live in and that won't happen quickly. Um, 
So just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that that felt really important. Um, from here, we're going to take just a moment to take a moment. <laughs> we are going to make sure that we're nice and present with each other and with ourselves. So if you would just from whatever space you're in, make yourself comfortable. You can have your feet on the floor or crossed or whatever feels good to you. This is really just about connecting to the breath. And so we're going to take just a few breaths together. We're going to start just by inhaling in through the nose at whatever pace or rate feels good to you and exhaling, releasing any tension or energy that we're holding in our body that doesn't need to be there. We're going to take another breath in through the nose, deep into the body and exhale, noticing how good it feels to have that moment and little piece of relaxation. And we'll take another breath deep in through the nose, letting it move through the chest and the shoulders and the stomach, letting yourself be filled with air, holding that for just a moment, and then exhaling, sinking deeper into your seat in your space, finding presence in this moment and presence with yourself. In this last breath that we're gonna take, I want you to be aware of your inhale and exhale, but I also want you to become aware of the space in between those breaths. So we're gonna take a deep breath in and notice that when we reach a fullness, there's a space in between, just gently noticing and exhaling, letting that breath go from the body, sinking into relaxation, noticing the second space where we've exhaled our breath and we're not gasping for an inhale two moments that are always present but we're not always aware of and we're going to do a breathing exercise in just a little bit that focuses on that sort of practice of the space between our breath so now after we've taken a few breaths go ahead and come back to the body you can wiggle your fingers and your toes open your eyes back to this moment. Just wanted to have everyone have a chance to take a breath. Um, I don't know if you've been like me where it feels like you've been holding your breath for a few days now. So just some nice intentional breathing felt important. Now we're going to launch into good, the good stuff. So we're going to talk about stress today. Um, it's something that people reference and sort of talk about a lot, but I really, like I said, wanted to take advantage of this virtual format and diving deeper into what stress is, um, specifically how it relates to the body. Because when we're talking about herbs, we can talk energetic, we can talk spiritual, two of my favorite ways to talk about herbs, but also they have a real physiological and biological effect on the body. And it's important to understand the processes and the systems that it's working with. So the body experiences stress in two major systems. The first is the nervous system and the second is the endocrine system. And I've got these little um, animated videos here. I don't know if they'll animate. Oh. Nope, they won't, but they animate. Um, first, the nervous system. Basically, this is a process of the regulation between stimulation and relaxation, or the interplay between yin and yang, if you want to think about it in Chinese medicine terms. So it's that interplay between rest and activity. And it's a process that's ruled by our brain, our spinal cord, and our nerves that run all throughout our body. The second system that has to do with stress is the endocrine system. And the endocrine system is all about this chemical communication of hormones that maintain this internal balance for us. Um, if you also want to make an equivalency to Chinese medicine, that's going to be our vital essence, like our blood and our fluids, and our vital spirit known as our shin. And we're going to talk about shin in a few minutes and the fullness of what that concept means. I wanted to point this out, one, to note what body systems we're trying to work with, but also because I wanted to show and, and remind all of us that our bodies are literally equipped to manage, regulate, and process stress. Our bodies are built for this. Um, and that's just important, I think, to remember. So if our bodies are built for this, what's, what's the breakdown? Why don't we got this? Um, and so again, if the body is, is ready and able to process and regulate what's going on with our stress and our external world, 
why, why do we struggle so much with it? And almost every person, uh, no matter what field they're in, agrees that it's because our modern society is structured in this way that causes our body systems to be overstimulated, overstressed, and inherently lacking any sort of restoration. Our bodies can handle stress, but they cannot handle prolonged stress at the rate and frequency at which we receive it from the world around us. And so it's not stress that is killing us, it's prolonged stress. Our bodies can work with stress, but they cannot recope without restoration. So we're going to break this down. Like I said, I wanted to take advantage of this format so that we could um, really break down some body processes. Sorry, give me just a moment. So we're going to go through the process of prolonged stress and the model on the graph that you're seeing for anyone listening on the podcast that visually can't see this is known as the general adaptation syndrome or the GAS model. And this is by Hans Selye. Um, and he basically was able, he's an endocrinologist um, who was able to break down what's happening in the body when we're in this prolonged stress state. And so first we have this first stage known as the alarm stage. And that's when our stress response is activated. It causes this rush of adrenaline, brain activity, alertness, heart rate, energy. All of this is for the pure means of survival. And this is where shock occurs. And if you can see on the graph, we have our stress resistance along the side here. And in, a, in the phase one of our alarm reaction, um, our stress resistance is very much at an even keel and a balance. And then some sort of stress occurs, shock happens, and our stress resistance drops very low. And our body is going to mobilize everything that it can to try and reach that state of balance again. And when it does this, it sort of overcorrects and jumps up into stage two known as resistance, when it's just basically trying to cope with the stress that's happening. And in the resistance phase, there are all of these adaptive changes and processes at work that are trying to restore balance in our body. Our alarm responses begin to diminish, but if the stress continues in the background, the body is going to prepare for this longer battle with stress. And our bodies do that for times like famine and scarcity. It's a prolonged survival uh, coping mechanism. From there, from stage two, if we're not able to eliminate the stress or get ourselves out of a stress state, we enter stage three known as exhaustion. And in exhaustion, we're going to have things like fatigue and inflammation um, that begin to rule the body due to this overproduction of insulin and all these stress hormones from the endocrine system like cortisol and this release of free radicals into the body. Our resources from this exhaustion are just utterly depleted and the immune system becomes compromised. And this is the process that leads us into a world rampant with chronic stress um, and chronic illness because our immune system has nothing to support itself. Our reserves are absolutely depleted. And from that state, again, that's when we're gonna have all of this fatigue and inflammation um, occurring. So how do we support our bodies in an environment and a society that is just built for prolonged stress? Well, you could do what I tried to do at first, which is retreat from the world as much as possible by trying to become some, you know, Buddhist Zen person who just wants to meditate all the time and not interact with the world. Um, that is literally impossible, especially if you're someone who feels called to do this work with others. Um, and so if that's not an option you can take, you can also take another route, which is to support the body's ability to move out of the stress state and achieve a sense of balance again. And that sounds lovely, right? But how do we do that? And one of the first ways we can do that is by beginning to look closer at the stress response to see where we can support it. So that's why I really, again, wanted to break down some of these processes that are going on in the body so we can look at all the variables at play, look at everything that's on the table, and see where can we come in and structurally support this inherent process in our body. So we're going to continue to do that. We're going to look at the stress response in the body. And for anyone listening on the podcast, the graph that we're looking at is the model of allostatic overload um, from Bruce McEwen. Um, you can look that up easily on Google to sort of follow along visually, but I'm going to walk us through it here. 
And so as we're looking at this graph, we can see um, that there is a lot of variables at play. The first being on the left-hand side here, these individual differences that make us up. So we have the genes, our development, all of our experiences that we've collected throughout time are gonna be influencing the mind and the way that we perceive stress. Once we perceive some sort of stress, we move over to the right side of this graph and we begin to try and cope with these behavioral responses. And uh, most of the time, if it's a very real stress, it's gonna be this flight or, uh, fight or flight response. But in our world where stress can be as something as simple as getting up to give a presentation to people, um, we might move more into personal behaviors like smoking, drinking, exercise, what we choose to eat, um, all of those behavioral responses that we try and engage to cope with the stress present. And so from there, the behavioral responses we have and our individual differences are gonna come together to create a physiological response to the stress that's present. And once that physiological response happens, there are two pathways that can take in the body. The first is allostasis, which is the ability of the body to maintain stability through change that involves unknown variables, meaning that there's a lot of things at play. We don't know when the stress is gonna go away. We don't know how to deal with it. All of these unknown variables, how does our body get back to a sense of stability? Or the second option, adaptation, how do we change? How does the body change to cope with what is going on. So we have these two options, returning to the way things were or moving forward so that the body adapts and evolves so that it can cope and handle what's happening. And the center there, you'll notice that there's a term allostatic load, which is why they actually made this graph in general. Um, allostatic load is basically just a tipping point that occurs where we cannot go back to the way things were before. That is impossible. We have to move forward and do something different, or we're just going to sit in this allostatic overload, this crisis space. So when we look at this model, the reason we're breaking this down is because I want us to see where all the places that the stress response can be supported. And when we look at this, we can see that therapy can help with the processing of trauma or maybe our behavioral responses. We can use things like meditation and mindfulness to ease our reactions to environmental stressors. Um, but where do herbs fit in? That's the big question because that's the topic of what we're covering today, right? This is herbs to ease stress and encourage surrender. Herbs, unfortunately, cannot eliminate stress or change individual experience, but they can encourage allostasis, ease allostatic load by building resistance, and support adaptation. So they can work with the physiological responses that are sort of shuttled down into what the body is doing with it. And so that's the point that herbs can help us most. I want to take a moment to talk about this word that I just used on that slide, resiliency, because it's going to be really important for what we're going through today, specifically how to cultivate a sense of resiliency, uh, not only energetically and emotionally, but also a physiological state of resiliency. And resiliency is a bit of a buzzword right now. I know you've heard it sort of chirping. I know I've used it before in past podcasts I've used. Um, but I think it's really important to gain clarity about what it truly means. And we have the space to do that today. So these are all my opinions, but see if they resonate with you. But to me, in my experience, resiliency is not about being harder, better, faster, stronger, because we do know from experience that what doesn't kill us does not always make us stronger. We can see that in our world where we are in this prolonged stress state and people are getting chronically ill. What doesn't kill us does not always make us stronger. Resiliency instead to me is the compassionate art of elasticity. It is the ability for us to recover and it's the most loving form of restoration that I have found. It is not bouncing back. It is creating an evolved way forward. And to me, it is the utmost expression and fulfillment of supporting and nurturing our vital and divine essences. And thankfully, plants know all about resiliency. Um, to me, there is no better example of resiliency than a budding bloom in spring. And I've gotten the chance in this quarantine to experience a lot of that because I've been at home um, in my yard with my plants. 
to me, when I see a new little bud coming up in the dirt in spring, it is hopeful and full of this potential for life that is born from the magic of rest. And nature is ripe with examples of resiliency, from the movement in our seasons from winter to spring, to the appearance of herbs and plants that grow through the cracks on a sidewalk. Plants know this movement of being resilient and they are ready to support this movement within us in lots of different ways. So what are all of those different ways? We're gonna take three approaches to examining how stress, uh, how herbs can help support uh, stress, surrender, and resiliency. So the concept of resiliency intersects with the stress process at the point of adaptation. Since we know that resiliency is a combination of restoration and evolution, it makes sense that adapting is the way to break the cycle of prolonged stress. We wanna get out of that same monotony. And adaptogens, a type of herbs, support the nervous system to provide resiliency and balance in the face of chronic stress. Adaptogens are defined as the nonspecific endocrine regulating, immune modulating effects of certain plants that increase the person's ability to maintain optimal balance in the face of emotional or physical stress. Much more simply put, adaptogens restore balance and allow the body to change and evolve to maintain that balance. Adaptogens are really great because they work in both directions. They can increase or decrease, they can treat excess or deficiency, and they also work on a wide range of body systems. And what I mean by working in both directions is that if you were someone who had high blood pressure and you took an adaptogen to treat that, it would lower your blood pressure. But if you were someone with low blood pressure that took adaptogen to correct that, that same adaptogen, it would raise your blood pressure to a state of normalcy and balance. So it's very different from Western medicine where if you were to take a blood pressure medication to lower your blood pressure, all it does is work in that one direction where it's just going to lower something. Adaptogens have the ability to increase or decrease symptoms to treat excess and deficiency. And I have a little graph here to just break this down in visual terms, but essentially we're working with the two uh, nervous systems at play, which is sympathetic and parasympathetic. And when a stress enters, our sympathetic nervous system is just overloaded. Our relaxed state, our parasympathetic nervous state, is gone and juts right up and we're in this imbalance that occurs. And it's showing here with these cute little squigglies that if you were to support the, the nervous system with adaptogens, it would be able to bring a sense of balance so that when stress enters, we don't find ourselves off kilter and out of whack. Um, so again, it's all about supporting the body to change and evolve in a way that allows us to maintain balance. It's not this approach where we're gonna let ourselves get really stressed out and then we're just gonna sedate ourselves. It's, it's literally changing the way that the body responds to stress, which is huge and, and so important because there is no Western medicine that does that, right? We treat symptoms. We don't allow the body to change and evolve. And I have a quote here from Donald Yance. Um, he has a great book that I actually bought on accident for my herbal program last year, um, but has become a book that I use more than any other herbal book I've ever found because he talks in medical terms, he talks in Western terms, clinical terms, but then always link th links things back up to Chinese med medicine and energetics. And he explains that biological agents, adaptogens, provide the perfect antidote for the life-robbing deficiencies in vitality created by the demands of modern life. And so he's saying, you know, the same thing that we're getting at today, that we live in this modern world that has lots of demands on our body and our system, a system not built to cope with, with these demands, but adaptogens can allow us to cope and evolve, um, which makes them pretty cool. And so now we're going to move through specific herbs that are adaptogens. And um, if you'll just notice, we're gonna move through a few lists of herbs and I have a few of them in bold. It's not super important for you to wonder why that is. I just want you to note that they are in bold because we're gonna be referencing it for a little while. So first we're gonna break down adaptogens that work on the nervous system because the nervous system is the body system we're trying to support. 
we've got American ginseng, we've got Asian ginseng, we've got eleuthero, holy basil, reishi, rhodiola, and schisandra. We're also going to break down uh, endocrine system adaptogens because we're also working with that body system. And those are going to be things like ashwagandha, American ginseng, holy basil, reishi, rhodiola, and schisandra. So you can already notice that we have some overlap between the two categories of herbs, and that's what the bold is meant to indicate. Um, that's not very rare with adaptogens because like I mentioned earlier, they tend to work on multiple body systems. So it's, it's not crazy to see an overlap in those. Next, what we wanna do is support this nervous system we've been talking so much about. And it's important to note that with the, with the nervous system that stress can be both good and bad. And the nervous system recognizes all of it. Stress can be good like a promotion or an award or say giving a presentation on herbs, um, but it can also be bad. Lots of other sort of bad stress that we see in the world like our city burning and people being killed. Um, the, the nervous system does not really recognize the difference. All of it is information that is constantly coming in. And that's the reason I have this graph here to break down again. We know sort of the three players that are working in the nervous system, the brain, the spinal cord, and the nerves. But then it's important to note that the way that we receive all of that information is through our five senses. We are constantly seeing, touching, smelling, feeling, tasting the world around us. And that is just constant input. I mean, think about how much our nervous system is taking on all the time just by trying to assess the safety of the world around us. Um, that can create an overload. An overload to the nervous system can manifest itself as fatigue, depression, anxiety, insomnia, irritability. The list goes on and on. An important thing to note here is that sleep is required for nervous system restoration. If you are sleeping, you are healing. And conversely, if you are not sleeping, you are not healing because you are continually still taking in input. So if good quality sleep is one of the key and best ways to restore the nervous system. And when the nervous system can't restore, it begins to deplete the reserves that are present in your body, like in the stage three of that prolonged stress model we saw. You're just in a constant state of exhaustion. One of my teachers, Patricia Howe, um, described health to me as a pond that is made up of your overall reserves uh, or your chi. So we have this pond that's full of our chi, our vital life energy. And as stress begins to increase, the pond begins to decrease and drop. And as that pond begins to drop, it begins to reveal things in this water. And these things begin to reveal themselves and poke out or emerge in an unnatural state. And these are things that are always there. But without the drop in chi, they would otherwise not emerge or become a problem. And if the reserves are restored, these problems can go away, right? They go back to their natural balanced state. So what if all of the things that we're struggling with actually aren't about treating the fatigue, the depression, the insomnia, the irritability? What if it's about restoring our vital energy, increasing our chi, allowing our chi to move so that these parts of our body are not in an unnatural state? The best way to support this process is through a combination of three things, mindful nutrition, and please note, I did not use the word diet. That is a word that is wrapped and the patriarchy and that's not what we're talking about today we're talking about eating in a way that supports your body and makes you feel good we're going to talk about the second component sleep and the third component to supporting this process is a balance between rest and activity again i want you to note i did not use the word exercise because exercise is activity or the movement and expenditure of chi what we're wanting to strike is a balance between rest and activity, not having too much of one and not enough of the other. So herbs can help these various approaches because I'm sure when I say to you, you know, yeah, just go get some sleep. Um, I don't know if you're like me that you were up until like four or five o'clock in the morning for the past few nights, just with a general state of unrest. Um, sleep's not always easy to achieve. Um, it's one of the no number one complaints that any herbalist gets when people come to them. I cannot sleep. 
And again, if you're not sleeping, you're not healing. So how, how do we get you sleeping? There are lots of herbs that can do that. Um, and there are so, so, so many herbs to work with, um, with the nervous system based on your symptoms. I mean, to be honest, herbs that work on the nervous system are the herbs that everyone knows. Like someone who has knows nothing about herbs, they know what lavender is. They know what chamomile is. And so like, they're just really well known. Today, we're going to focus on specifically two herbal actions, nerving relaxants and hepatics. We already went over adaptogens on the other slide. So with the nervous system, we're going to focus on these two herbal actions. The first being relaxing nervines, and that's where all of our heavy hitters live, right? We've got our chamomile, we've got holy basil, lavender, motherwort, which we mentioned before, passionflower, reishi. We've got that beautiful St. John's wort, skullcap, valerian, and milky oats, which are actually ripe right now. I just made a bunch of tinctures and vinegars and teas. Um, so all of these relaxing nervines, and they do exactly what, what you would think they do. They relax the nervous system. The second category that we're going to talk about in terms of herbal actions for the nervous system are hepatics. And that might be a word that you're not super familiar with, and that's okay. Hepatics protect and restore the liver. And I think that in Western society, we have a really limited understanding of what the liver does. It can be really pegged as just something that like processes um, alcohol or drugs or environmental stresses and toxins. But almost every other understanding of medicine in the body um, has a huge focus on the liver. Um, that could be a class in and of itself, but it's just important to note the liver is very, very important when we're talking about health across all body systems, not just the digestive system. And hepatics that work with the nervous system are burdock root, dandelion root, licorice, milk thistle, uh, also known as silymarin, uh, Shisandra, and reishi mushroom. And we can begin to see that we're still having some overlap in the herbs that work with adaptogens and all of those other ways. So we're really able to see this overlap that's occurring. From here, I wanna talk about Shin for just a minute. I mentioned it earlier as this vital sort of spirit, um, but we're gonna go a little further. And I will say the first time I heard the word Shin and learned about it, I just realized, what an important part it would be in the sort of herbalism that I practice. Um, and so I'm really excited to have the chance to talk about it. Nobody ever wants to talk about Shen. Um, and what we want to do specifically is soothe the Shen with herbs. Shen is a fundamental, etheric, non-physical substance that's described in Chinese medicine. Shen is this intangible life force or our spirit. It generates this unique quality of the self. It produces the radiant warmth that makes up personality, charisma, and this animated, or animated element of being a human. Um, my acupuncturist Judith describes it as the sparkle in someone's eye. Um, so it's a very important part of what makes us animated and this unique thing that makes up who we are. Chinese medicine describes the Shin really poetically and beautifully as this wild bird that takes residence in the hollow space of the heart. And when things feel unsafe, that bird wants to fly away. Trauma and stress cause the shin to disengage, float, or become unanchored from the heart space. And this is what's known as shin disturbance in Chinese medicine. In Western medicine, shin disturbance is labeled as things like ADD, ADHD, PTSD, or dissociation, generalized anxiety disorder. Um, the list goes on and on. Um, but where in Western medicine, we're talking about someone either dissociating or having a trauma response. In Chinese medicine, we're, we're talking about the shin and a disturbance in the shin and the spirit. So... There's no way to treat someone who, who has shin disturbance without first addressing that. Because like I said earlier, if you're not sleeping, you're not healing. And if you're not present in your body, it's also very difficult to engage healing processes. So what are the herbs that treat shin disturbance? These are known in Western clinical terms as nerving restoratives. 
and those include holy basil, mimosa, motherwort, shisandra, and reishi mushroom. Again, all herbs that we have heard before. And like I said, you've just been noticing there are certain words in bold, and all of that was for a reason so that we can use a process to help create and craft an herbal formula. And that's sort of all of what we're working towards, right? Is figuring out what herb is appropriate to help treat stress and support these body systems that process and take in stress. And I will say that creating an herbal formula or crafting an herbal protocol is like a work of art. Um, it is something that I think you never stop or, or end in perfecting. Um, it's something that no matter how long you've been an herbalist, there's always a new way and a new sort of process to engage how we put together herbs and create a formula or a protocol. Um, one of the most important and fundamental components of that is looking for the overlap of herbs and being aware of contraindications, which we'll go through today. Um, but we've been looking for this overlap in herbs this whole time. By building lists of herbs to address various symptoms and systems, we can cross-examine to see which herbs address the most symptoms and systems. It's good if one herb only addresses one of the symptoms, but it's great if one herb addresses multiple systems. And when we examine the list of herbs that we created to support the various symptoms and systems related to stress, we come up with these herbs. Holy basil, shisandra, rhodiola, and reishi. Um, we also had American ginseng and motherwort were high contenders, but just for time, they sort of had to be eliminated. So we've got four main herbs that we're going to cover today to help ease stress and encourage surrender. The first is rhodiola, and rhodiola met two out of our five symptoms and systems with a strong system affinity. That's why I chose uh, to include it because two out of five, like that's okay, it's not great. Um, but if they have, if this herb has a strong system affinity, basically, if it really likes the nervous system and the endocrine system, then that's great. So that's why I chose it today. I also chose it because it's probably not an herb that you've ever heard of before. Um, rhodiola is not like the sexiest herb that ever existed, but it does a lot of wonderful things. It's indicated for fatigue, depression, mental fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, and elevated cortisol levels. So it's really supporting all of the things that be can become out of whack when we're in this prolonged stress state. It also supports our endocrine disorders like insulin resistance, adrenal deficiency, hypothyroidism, the list goes on and on. So it works on those endocrine disorders. I recommend taking rhodiola as a tincture or a capsule. Um, you would not enjoy a decoction of rhodiola um, or a tea. So again, best taken as a tincture or a capsule. The one disclaimer I will give about rhodiola is that it is a very expensive herb. Um, I actually logged on to Mountain Rose Herbs, <clears throat> excuse me, a few days ago to get some. And I totally forgot that it was like $36 for a few ounces of the stuff where like other herbs you can get for $8 a pound. So it's very expensive. When we're looking at herbs, like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, it's also important to note any contraindications that are present. Uh, the most prevalent being that you don't want to take this too late in the day. Uh, rhodiola is always best taken before like 1 or 2 p.m. or you're going to be really overstimulated. Um, another anecdotal contraindication, meaning that it's sort of reported by mouth from a few people, like a small percentage of people, is that it would be best not to take this if you're someone with a history of mania or paranoid bipolar disorder. Again, this is a very stimulating herb, so if you already have this stimulation happening in an imbalanced state, we don't want to over-exaggerate what's going on there. Um, and so if you do have a history of either two of those things, then there are lots of herbs that can do similar things to rhodiola. We just steer away from rhodiola. And one of those herbs is shisandra. Shisandra is one of my favorite herbs. Um, it's actually a berry. Uh, I really enjoy it, not just because it's one of the most difficult herbs for me to pronounce, um, but also because it's just really lovely um, in taste and experience. Shisandra meets four out of our five symptoms and systems, so that's great. I mean, that is a great percentage when you're looking at creating and crafting an herbal protocol and formula. 
um, Shisandra's whole thing is that it stores energy. It stops our ability to override and it helps us rebuild those reserves of chi that are so important for restoring balance and evolving our bodies. Shisandra is uh, really popular in Chinese medicine because of its complex and balanced energetics. It's known as the five flavor berry. And in Chinese medicine, there are these five flavors that are meant to have associations to elements and treating certain symptoms. And Shisandra is so great because all of those five energetics are present. It's pungent, salty, sweet, sour, and bitter. So it's very complex, but balanced berry. It also is shin calming, so it helps treat shin disturbance that manifests itself as disturbed sleep, depression, poor concentration, and anxiety. It's indicated for deficiency conditions like chronic fatigue syndrome, insomnia, impaired memory, uh, fatigue, chronic stress, and depression. Um, it's really great whenever we can find an herb that is indicated for deficiency conditions because it is really easy to treat excess to either clear or move excess energy but it is really difficult to build back up def from deficient symptoms and so anytime that we have an herb that's able to do that it's very very uh it's just an amazing thing to in incorporate with uh treating symptoms and systems I would recommend Shisandra best taken as a tincture or a syrup that you can add to your smoothies or mocktails or other culinary recipes. Um, that's a great way to use syrups is just to infuse them uh, in your nutrition and the way that you eat or drink things. Um, I also really love it as a tincture because I like to add it to other herbal formulas and it gives it just a great taste. And because Again, it's this five flavor berry that the flavor is super important. We want to experience the flavor um, present in Shisandra. Really important to note its contraindications. If you are on blood thinning drugs, if you are pregnant, or if you have epilepsy, Shisandra is just not going to be the herb for you. Uh, very important to note that. <clears throat> the next herb that we're going to talk about is my favorite herb. Um, picking a favorite herb is much like picking a favorite child, um, but holding basil always rises above the pack for me to be reminded why I love it so much. Um, holy basil treats four out of our five symptoms and systems, which again is a really great um, standard to meet when we're choosing an herb. It helps regulate the HPA access, which is the dynamic between the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenals. It helps manage cortisol, that stress hormone that we've talked about before, and it's very restorative to our adrenals. It's indicated for immune deficiency and excess, which, and that's because it's an adaptogen, like we talked about earlier. It's able to work in both directions to achieve a sense of balance. So whether you're immune deficient or you have this sort of excess, uh, over-exaggerated immune response, it's still gonna be able to, to work with that energy. It also eases mild to moderate depression, which is something that's really relevant for the society that we live in, um, and something that I think we all need from time to time. In addition to its real physiological and biological responses and support of the body, it also has this really great spiritual implication. And holy basil's whole thing, as I have come to know it, is that it really reminds the body of its own divinity. This reminder that we're in a holy vessel and creates a sense of safety and this feeling of, of being at home in ourselves and at home in our body. Um, I included this quote from Maya Toll, who is an herbalist um, and actually owns uh, an herbal, the, the herbiary, um, one of the first herbal stores that I ever went into as, a, as an adult. Um, and walking into that space gave me the same feeling that, uh, that Holy Basil gives me, um, that feeling of being surrounded by herbs. Uh, the sense of coming home to yourself. And Maya says about holy basil, um, also known as Tulsi, that Tulsi says you're strongest when you let your spirit help you adapt to the ups and downs of daily life. Holy basil's presence is a reminder. Come home to yourself. So again, it just has this really beautiful spiritual aspect. Um, I'm currently wearing it as uh, an amulet around my neck. Um, it's one of my favorite, 
favorite amulets to wear to just keep me present in the body and reminded of my own inherent divinity in this physical form. Um, I recommend holy basil, best taken as a tea. It's very soothing and pleasing to the senses. Um, that's relevant when we're thinking back to that graph of the nervous system about how stress is interpreted through our five senses. And one of the ways that shin disturbance is treated in Chinese medicine is by trying to engage the senses in a really pleasurable way. So it's using those same portals and pathways that we're taking in information. And instead of it being stressful information, we're wanting to let all of this really great, pleasurable, soothing, joyful sensation come in through those portals. So it's really great taken as a tea because it just tastes lovely, smells lovely. It makes you feel so wonderful in your body. Um, I also love holy basil as a tincture. Um, it really balances and enhances the taste of formulas that have more bitter herbs. Um, my favorite thing to do is to tincture nettles, which if you're an herbalist or have ever tasted nettles, you know, is like a crazy thing to do uh, because it's very, very bitter. Um, and so it, it's great to, uh, to incorporate holy basil to tinctures that have a more bitter taste uh, to make it very palatable and a pleasing experience. Um, there are some people who say that if you're doing something and not enjoying it, um, then it's actually detrimental to your health. I don't know how much I necessarily believe that, but I do think that there's a bit of truth there that um, if something feels traumatic or unpleasing, that it's doing something else in your body that is not conducive to healing. The last herb that we're going to talk about is actually not an herb at all. It is a mushroom. Uh, mushrooms are getting a lot of buzz lately and for good reason because they are magical and restorative and so healing. And today we're going to talk specifically about reishi mushroom. Reishi mushroom meets five out of our five symptoms and systems that we're trying to treat when we're talking about stress and surrender. Uh, reishi is known as what's called a shelf mushroom. And the mushroom itself is actually the fruiting, fruiting body of the mycelium, which is the plant from which it grows. It's known as the mushroom of immortality and the mushroom of longevity, which is a, you know, a hefty claim to make, but it lives up to be, being able to achieve those standards. It's indicated for chronic stress, insomnia, poor quality sleep, which is really important, anxiety, and shin disturbance. And I actually put reishi in any of my um, shin and sleep formulas, not because reishi is going to give you this uh, sedating effect that makes you go to sleep, but reishi is really great for helping reset the biorhythms of the body. So if you're just someone whose sleep cycle is totally out of whack and you're not getting good quality sleep, reishi is really great because it can help reset those sleep cycles. Um, reishi is best taking it as a powder. Uh, it's super easy if it's a powder. You can put it basically in anything like a smoothie or a drink or whatever, um, or a double extraction, which is actually the method you have to use to make this tincture. Um, and a double extraction is a ba basically is a process of both decoction and extraction. Um, so using an agent to extract things out, but also using heat and water, um, like a tea to decoct as well. Um, I would recommend using reishi uh, daily for a nice cumulative effect. Um, I think that's the best way to take it. Again, it's this mushroom of longevity and we want to take it in that same sort of energy. So we've gone over all these herbs. We've talked, we've learned about four herbs. We've learned about all these body systems. We have three different approaches to how we support the physiological body and the spirit and, and easing stress and stress response. What in the world does surrender have to do with any of this? And it could seem like surrender doesn't have much to do with easing stress and facilitating um, adaptation, but it has everything to do with it. Earlier, I mentioned the definition of resiliency is very easily misconstrued and misattributed to mean powering through a tough circumstance, but that is not the definition of resiliency at all. Resiliency is not bouncing back. It is moving forward. It is not about removing all stress in life by secluding yourself entirely from the modern world and connection to others. 
resiliency is also not about giving up or rolling over. And I really struggled with this concept for a long time um, of how do I become resilient? How do I surrender uh, without giving up? And the way to engage surrender in that way is through resiliency. Um, the, the image I've chosen to represent this here is one of the hanged woman in the Neo Tarot deck, uh, which is one of my favorite tarot decks. And I love it for lots of reasons. One, I really like it that they call it the hanged woman and not the hanged man. Uh, but also, I love her image because the the woman on the screen is in, in the card she's not in a stress state she's not suspended or trapped or caught she's also not giving up she has active motions in her body um instead she is she's floating right she's she's hanging out here there's a lot of active energy all around her and she's processing it and taking it in but it's very much an internal movement so if you read tarot or if you resonate with tarot um, working with the hanged man or the hanged woman card is a great way to begin to understand this concept of surrender this very complicated concept of surrender um, grit is useless in creating resiliency Retreat is a temporary and insufficient tactic. Surrender is the only pathway to resiliency and resiliency is the only pathway to surrender. And I know I've been talking a lot. I've thrown a lot of words at you, but if there is a phrase that you walk away remembering today, I would ask that it be this one, resiliency through surrender. To me, that's the most important thing that I have to share today is that resiliency is made possible through surrender, which allows us to naturally adapt. The more we try to do, the more stuck in a cycle we will become. It's like that really tired example of quicksand. The more you struggle, the more entrenched you're going to become. A release of control over the external allows a movement of all of that energy internally. And if we do this, the focus instead becomes on supporting the physical symptoms, healing the trauma, and remembering that our body is a safe place to be. Because if we're in the body, then we're present. And if we're present, then we can take care of ourselves. And if we can take care of ourselves, the body can adapt. And if the body can adapt, we can break cycles, we can restore, we can heal, and we can evolve. And that's what we're going for here. And the image that I chose to use for this resiliency through surrender is one that mirrors uh, an image I used at the beginning of that really pristine Buddha on the mountain that's perfectly manicured and golden. And I chose to use this other picture to note the difference uh, between the two. Because in this image, instead of being perfectly pristine and, and you know, manicured from head to toe, uh, this Buddha is overrun with moss and growth. And he is utterly unbothered by it. Um, sits with the same smirk on his face, the same sense of peace, um, unbothered by all of the growth around him, not doing anything, um, and instead cultivating that inner peace that strong center. I have a quote here that's one that has, I've really struggled with uh, since the first time I heard it a few years ago um, because it's hard to grasp um, the soft space that it's trying to land and that it's talking about. And the quote is from the Tao Te Ching. And it says, the Tao does nothing but leaves nothing undone. If powerful men could observe it, all creations would be transformed by themselves. And that's Lao Tzu. The way that I first heard that quote was uh, a more colloquial translation that just someone told me, do nothing and everything will be done. And again, this is a difficult process and like concept to really grapple with. What, what is he getting at? And from what I understand in the way that, that I've interpreted throughout these years is that it's about dropping into a state of flow. It's about that, that movement 
instead of projecting all of our energy externally to move that energy internally so that we can begin to evolve and change. We do nothing other than just focus on taking care of ourselves. And with that change in our body, we create a change in our aura. We can create a change in our home, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our world. So again, I understand that it's a, a difficult concept because I struggle with it a lot too. But to me, everything around me points that it is the only way this do nothing and everything will be done. Be present in the body, take care of ourselves, allow ourselves to adapt, allow ourselves to evolve so that we can break cycles, heal and evolve. From here, I'd like for us to do just a little um, breathe that breathing exercise that I mentioned, and we've got just a few minutes left, so it's going to be pretty short, but it's a, an exercise that you can do all the time. Um, I just want to sort of break down the process for you all and for us to do it just for a few minutes. And so if you would just get comfortable where you sit, if that involves uh, putting your feet on the ground or having them crossed, whatever feels best for you, it's just important to be really comfortable. And from this space of comfort, I want you to just begin to become aware of your body, what it feels like to have your legs on the chair, your feet on the floor, your back touching your seat. Maybe your hands are resting in your lap or somewhere on your body, just becoming really present in the body. And go ahead and start by just taking a nice easeful breath in through the nose, breathing deep, and exhaling fully. We'll take another breath in through the nose, inhaling deep into the body, and exhaling all of that energy and air out of the body in a way that feels normal and natural to you. Continue to breathe as you just notice the breath. There's nothing that you need to change about this breath. Just simply become aware of the quality of your breath, where it goes in your body, what space it moves to, maybe it finds tension or relaxation. Don't think or analyze what it finds in the body. We're just gonna allow the breath to move as it wants to. And as you're breathing in this space, I want you to begin to become aware of those in-between spaces we touched on earlier, those spaces where when you inhale, the body's full of air and you're not needing to take any more breath in and you're not needing to rapidly exhale or force the air out, the suspended liminal space in our breathing. And then as you exhale, I want you to become aware of the next space that you find after you fully exhale all of the air out of your body where you're not needing to immediately gasp for more air and you're not needing to expel anymore this complete space of peace that we can find in between the breath. I want you to begin thinking about this as liminal breathing, as breathing not to focus on your inhale and your exhale, but a breathing to reach this space in between your breath where nothing is needed and nothing needs to change. Notice how these spaces are always present, but somehow even when we're meditating or doing yoga, the focus becomes all about that active inhale or active exhale, but there's a space of rest that exists in every breath we take. In fact, there are two spaces of rest. Begin to notice them and see how long you can rest in that space, not holding the breath, not denying the breath, but noticing how much you can elongate that space of peace. As you inhale in fully, notice, exhale fully, Notice. Continue to do this for a few more breaths. Breathing in. Noticing. 
exhaling, noticing. This to me is embodied surrender through the breath, through exploring the liminal in-between spaces of our breath, where we're not having to do anything, but we're not leaving anything undone. We're not forcing or changing. We're just allowing and being aware of a part of a process that has always been there, but that we're choosing in this moment to notice. Go ahead and do one more round of the liminal breathing, taking a deep breath in, noticing this beautiful space of surrender as you exhale fully and notice Again, the second space of surrender present in one round of breathing. From here, I want you to just begin to lightly bring your awareness back to your body, noticing your feet on the floor, your legs on your chair, your back against your chair or whatever space you're sitting on. Go ahead and take a deep breath in through your nose. Exhale fully through the mouth. Wiggle your fingers and toes. Give a little shake to your shoulder as you breathe another breath in. Exhale through the mouth and call all of your spirit back to this moment, noticing for just a second how good you feel and how much you deserve to feel that good. Engaging processes like this whether it's embodied surrender breathing, whether it is taking just a moment to take a moment and breathe, whether it's using herbs, all of these fall under a category that Audre Lorde mapped out as radical self-care. And I just wanna say that in the times that we live in, taking care of your body and taking care of your health and your energy is exactly what Audre Lorde was talking about when she said that self-care is a radical and political act of warfare. There is nothing more that you can do for yourself in this moment than take care of yourself because you deserve it. And I just want to say that. And so I hope you enjoyed that embodied breathing, that embodied surrender, that liminal breath. Um, you can always do that throughout the day when you just need to slow things down and create a pause for yourself. Um, you can use that at any time. I want to take a few moments just to talk about how folk care can support you in easing your stress and encouraging surrender. Um, I make original small batched herbal tinctures like Reassuring Shin or Holy Hell, I Need Some Help. Um, I love making these medicines and I do them with a lot of magic and mindfulness. I also make these magical herbal amulets like I'm wearing today that infuse the heart center and the aura with all of these great herbal healing energies. Um, and I also craft individually uh, and divinely resourced energy movements and meditations for people. So if you're feeling like you need that support, please reach out to me. Um, I am a Reiki master, but I don't practice Reiki. I just do Reiki and everything uh, that I do. And so try and infuse not only my herbal medicine and my amulets and my meditations and energy movements with Reiki um, so that you can move through whatever you're needing to move through and support whatever you're needing to support. From there, that's me. My name is Kirsten Hedges. If you have questions or need some support or just want to have a dialogue about the things that we talked about today, you can reach me at my email address, which is Kirsten. That's K-U-R-S-T-E-N at folkcareatl.com. That's F-O-L-K-C-A-R-E. ATL.com. Uh, my website is folkcareatl.com. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram at folkcareatl.com. Again, that's F O L K C A R E A T L for anyone listening on the podcast, because I know I have a Southern accent and sometimes it's hard to uh, understand uh, what I'm saying over here. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, there was a moment yesterday when I was really struggling with how to show up today, given everything that's going on in the world. And I just want to take a moment to express some really sincere gratitude to Benita. Um, she commented on that post and said, I will be there. 
And in that moment, I knew that that was all the purpose that I really needed to show up today and continue to give this talk. Um, thank you, Benita, for everything that you do just with your presence. Um, I have so much love for you and appreciation for you. Um, you and other people who show up here are the reason why I do this. So thank you. Um, and I hope that each of you have a really blessed day. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, take care of yourselves and I'll see you soon. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.